Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Beauties, we have a special show today. You can think of it as the last show of 2023 or the first show you've tuned into that takes your fear of sneeze peeing and of drinking water while being stuck in the middle row of an airplane seriously. Or you can think of it as one of the many A Certain Age pod shows to feature a super smart, savvy, supportive doctor you wish you had on speed dial. Okay, fine, fine. You can think of this show as all of the above because this episode is all that in a bag of chips. I am joined today by board certified urologist and sexual medicine specialist, Dr. Rachel Rubin. She is one of only a handful of physicians with fellowship training in sexual medicine for all genders. She is a clinician, researcher, and passionate educator. She serves on the board of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health and as associate editor for the journal Sexual Medicine Reviews. If you have questions about urinary incontinence, sexual wellness, testosterone therapy, and more, and I know you do, stick around. This show is for you. Welcome, Dr. Rubin. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. I'm excited. I have uh, had the pleasure of having uh, urologist Dr. Kelly Kasperson on the show. I had Dr. Angelish Kumar um, in my first season. And I know from having both of those conversations that people are in need of what it is that you bring to the table, your expertise. I was inundated with DMs and messages. I had former guests reach out to me after Dr. Kumar was on the show to have, you know, to share that they were reaching out to her for appointments because women are suffering. Well, uh, I know them both very well. And Dr. Kasperson just texted me about three minutes ago. So yeah, it's a it's a great group. We're a very funny, smart, and very um, loud group of people, we lady <laughs> urologists. Well, we, I, I love it. And you need to be loud because I learned from talking to Dr. Kumar when I said, how long do your patients wait before they come in, you know, it's to sort of seek help? And she said that many of her patients walk through the door after they've been suffering for 10 years, which is pretty astonishing. And, you know, we got to be loud and change that, that, uh, that, you know, calculus. People need to get the help that they deserve sooner. And I know from prepping for this show that over 50% of women experience some degree of urinary incontinence during menopause. This is an insane number. What are some reasons why that is happening? What are some steps that we can take to fix this? So I think the reason Dr. Kumar and Kasperson and I are so loud about this is um, we grew up taking care of men. Uh, and and we take care of everybody. And men don't wait around when they have something wrong with their genitals. They pretty quickly go see their doctors. And there's a different conversation that happens when it comes to quality of life issues for men. It's very normal to have shared decision making with your uh, doctor when you're a man about what your sexual health is, what treatments are for different things and the risks and benefits. It turns out, though, that there aren't a lot of those conversations happening on the women's health side of things. A lot of times we only go to risk and we also really don't talk to women about quality of life and all of the things that we do that actually can help them live better lives, not just not die from cancer, but actually enjoy their life a little bit better. And a lot of it comes down to understanding your your anatomy and understanding your quote unquote private parts and how they function. And when you learn how your body works, 
turns out you will make really excellent healthcare decisions for yourself, right? Things that make sense for you. And we have a lot of different treatment options ranging from do nothing to do certain exercises to local hormone therapy to surgeries and other things that can help with leakage. So there's actually quite a large toolbox that women aren't even being offered a lot of times. Yeah, it's 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 truly amazing. Um, you know, I I myself have had some, you know, I joke about the middle of the airplane, but I, you know, for many years didn't want to sit in it. You know, I was always the person on the aisle seat because I had to run, you know, to the bathroom a lot. And I work with a pelvic floor therapist and that that helped. And I've been using vaginal estrogen, which I believe helps. And I've, you know, I've taken some other steps to try to, to, to improve this. I know that women suffer. Um, Dr. Rubin, I know that you were quoted in the sort of blockbuster New York Times article that came out um, several months ago. Uh, written by Sue Dominus called Women Have Been Misled About Menopause. In that uh, article, somebody mentioned the fact, I, I don't think it was you, I think it might have been another doctor, that we have a high tolerance, a high cultural tolerance for women's suffering. And and I think part of the problem is is that, that women, you know, have been led to believe that uh, urinary incontinence is just an inevitable part of aging. You know, can you bust that myth? myth for our listeners? Do we have to suffer? Is this inevitable? Yeah, I think it goes back to pregnancy and sort of us thinking that natural pregnancies, first of all, us doing no research on pregnant people. So we say, oh, you can't even take Tylenol. You don't want to hurt the baby or you can't do this. You can't eat cheese. You can't do all these things. And so I think we just are raised to think that quote unquote natural or less is actually makes you somehow more badass, if you will. I don't know if I can say that on your <laughs> you podcast. You can say whatever or, you want. First of all, we are we are grownups. We are <laughs> right or like or like I didn't do an epidural, so I'm somehow tougher than you are. And like we women think that oh, if we just do more clean eating and yoga and breathing, and we kind of make each other feel like you know somehow that makes you better than another woman. And we gotta get we gotta move past that. You know, if 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 I didn't wear contact lenses. I would not be able to see or do anything, right? So so like if we just said, oh, my age, I'm just aging, I can't see anything, I would have not been productive after the first grade, right? Because I use technology so that I can see uh, what I'm doing. And so this idea that natural is somehow better is kind of a crock of crap, if you, can, if you, if you will. <laughs> so if you are leaking all the time and you can't go hang out with your friends and you can't get through a movie and you can't have intimacy with your partner without feeling terrible about yourself, the idea that you just have to suffer or that you have to spend lots of money on pads um, or, or uh, incontinence underwear is just not true. And if your doctor tells you that, then it's really important that you see a specialist who actually can give you a good good information about the toolbox because not everyone needs surgery. Uh, of course not. But there is quite a large toolbox and you want someone to customize it for your story and your exam, which is really important. We're going to get into this toolbox in, in just a minute. But I want to ask you about something that you just said, that you need to work with a specialist who gets it. How would you and where would you direct our listeners to find doctors? Because, you know, just like my DMs lit up with people saying, hey, I've made appointments with Dr. Angelish Kumar. I mean, she's in New York City. So people listen to the show across the country. Where can they find a doctor who gets it and who can help them? 
Yeah. I mean, I think educate, educating yourself is really important and knowing that not all doctors learn the same things and know the same things. So it also really depends on what specific topic you want help with. If it's hormones and menopause, you want to see someone who's specialized in menopause. And so that would be going to menopause.org and find a provider. If it's for sexual health issues, orgasm, arousal, libido, or sexual pain, then you want to see someone from the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health or ISWISH, I-S-S-W-S-H.org, there's a find a provider. If you want help with incontinence, then you're really going to want to see either someone trained in female urology or in urogynecology. And there are uh, websites, um, SUFU, S-U-F-U.org, I believe it is. And the other one is um, the American Urogynecology Association. And right now I'm not remembering their acronym, but I could give it to you for your show notes. And all of those will have find a provider. And sometimes you got to get second opinions too, is if someone's recommending surgery and you're not comfortable with that answer, you're always welcome to get a second or even third opinion. And any of your doctors who don't like you getting other opinions, I strongly recommend you find another doctor. I love that piece of advice. That is, uh, that is such, you know, such smart advice. Find a doctor that makes you feel seen and supported. It works, you know, beyond simply uh, you know, for your for your pelvic floor health. It applies to everything in your life. Uh, Dr. Rubin, we're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to pick up something you said about how it's important to use technology for things like our eyes. And I want to ask you about something specific for um, urinary incontinence. We'll be back in a minute. Dr. Rubin, we're back from the break. I love what you shared about how you use technology, eyeglasses, right, super high tech, to, to make your eyes work better. And I know from doing my research for this that I, I read the article that you were quoted in an Oprah magazine where you said that every person born with a uterus should be getting three prescriptions at their annual physical once they turn 45, a colonoscopy, a mammogram, and a third for local vaginal estrogen. Now, local vaginal estrogen is not technology, but it is a... It is an amazing product that we can use to um, improve the health of our vaginal walls. You know, so how how does this work in terms of urinary incontinence and its sort of knock on effect of also helping prevent UTIs? It is really the most important thing that we have in our toolbox to prevent urinary tract infections, to make sex not painful, and to fix urinary frequency and urgency. And what's so crazy, Katie, is this technology, quote unquote, has been around since the 1970s. I would argue this is female Viagra because it helps with sex and it helps with urinary symptoms, two things that Viagra does as well. But Viagra doesn't prevent urinary tract infection. So it's even better than Viagra. And it was around before Viagra. So we actually have a marketing problem because women don't realize that they have access now to, to gold, if you will. This is actually the only essential oil that exists. It's the only probiotic uh, that actually works and actually exists. So here's how it works. The genitals and the bladder and the urethra are very hormone-sensitive structures. When you're a baby, you don't have hormones and you pee your diaper all the time. Then in puberty, you get, you know, you get all these hormones uh, and, and the tissue changes. It morphs. Baby genitals don't look like grown-up genitals. And so uh, it becomes pink. It becomes lubricating. You know, sex, tampons, those kinds of things can happen. Uh, and so what happens 
is horm- the, the, the tissue needs hormones to be healthy. And then as you get into your late 30s, early 40s, your hormones start to change. Your testosterone starts to drop. And then ev- eventually your estrogen goes to essentially zero. And the tissue, which is rich in hormone receptors, loses all of that healthy, nourishing hormones that it's used to. So it gets thin. It gets raw. It gets dry. It gets irritated. The bladder starts to squeeze too much. So you get urinary frequency and urgency. You lose the acidity of the tissue to fight infection. So bacteria start to grow that shouldn't shouldn't grow. The microbiome starts to change for the worse. And so if that is still a sexual place, all this bacteria gets introduced and you can't fight it off like you could in your reproductive years. And so you get urinary tract infections and those can kill you. And so these therapies, either local vaginal estrogen or vaginal DHEA, and it comes in different forms. It can be a cream, a suppository, a ring, or a, 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 a tablet insert, there's lots of options. There's even a pill that is an option as well. And these prevent all of those problems. So we call this problem genitourinary syndrome of menopause or GSM for short. And vaginal hormones are safe for everybody. They're safe for your 98-year-old great-grandmother in the nursing home. They're safe for your aunt who had a history of breast cancer. They're safe for your friend who had a blood clot one time. And so it's really important, but like sunscreen and seatbelts, it only works if you actually keep using them. So Katie, it sounds like you're on vaginal hormones and you're going to be on that for the rest of your life if you want to prevent urinary tract infections. Which I 100% do because I am somebody who has played with them when I was when I was younger. Actually, ironically, during my reproductive years, I had UTIs all you know constantly, and I know how irritating they can be. Um, they're disruptive in terms of just the quality of your life. Um, I've gotten much better about always urinating after after sex, and that has helped really kind of prevent them. Uh, and I am taking vaginal estrogen because. I'm a podcaster, <laughs> and I've learned from doing this show that I need to be doing it. Uh, I did I did not hear about that from my own doctor until I wound up switching, and I now work with a wonderful integrative physician, who, um, OBGYN, who has you know encouraged me, and I'm assuming a lot of her other patients, to make use of vaginal estrogen. So I am here for that because UTIs are annoying, and you raise the point, too, that they can be deadly. I, I don't think that people recognize that that's one of like a big cause of hospitalization as women age, and then they they struggle with UTIs. Um, for anyone who's who's you know hasn't gotten that message, you know when you said it's deadly, like share with us a little bit more about that. Well, urinary tract infections, you know, you're when you're young, usually you take antibiotics, they go away. But as you get older, a lot of things can happen. So if you keep getting them, well, you start to grow what's called antibiotic-resistant bacteria, which is very dangerous because if you run out of the antibiotics to use, well, then you end up needing IV antibiotics or even more scarily, there are no antibiotics that will work for you. And if an infection is left untreated, it can go to your kidneys and can go through your bloodstream and cause sepsis, which can uh, is very dangerous and can lead to de- multi-system organ failure and death. And not only can it, it does on a regular basis. And this is something that plagues nursing homes, our elderly. Uh, we know that our nursing home patients can get mental status changes, and that sometimes is the only sign of a urinary tract infection. So you know you can get worsening dementia, uh, and really uh, it can. It's just 
horrible and we can prevent it, but nobody's offering it to these women because vaginal hormones are thought to treat a little vaginal dryness. And no one is thinking that these urinary tract infections can be prevented with the use of these very safe and effective products. You've sold, you've sold um, the listeners, I'm sure. I'm, I've already been sold because I've had this conversation a number of times on the podcast and I know how important it is to be using vaginal estrogen, which as you pointed out, is extremely safe. So you mentioned there, it comes in different forms. Formats. So there's, you know, there's a buffet of choices for people. You can use a cream, a suppository, a ring, a tablet. Um, walk us through if we are using cream, which I think is, you know, a very popular option. What's the cadence that we're using it? Are we how yeah, often? The, the, the cream, a vaginal estrogen cream, and I like the estradiol. Uh, or Estrace brand name better than I love the synthetic Premarin. I'll be honest, I'm very biased. Um, the reason I don't love the synthetic Premarin is sometimes there's like alcohol in it that can be irritating. So if the creams irritate you, choose a different product because there are other products out there. Don't say I tried it, it didn't work for me. It's the product didn't work for you, but not the hormone itself. So you got to find a different delivery system. Now we love the creams because they are the cheapest option. So without insurance, you can get a tube of estrogen cream for $20 using what's called either a GoodRx coupon at your local pharmacy. You go to goodrx.com or costplusdrugs.com, which is Mark Cuban, that guy from Shark Tank. It's his <laughs> pharmacy online, wow. which is that guy knows more about vaginal hormones than your doctor. And he is an absolute uh, wonderful human for getting affordable options. When I got out of my training seven years ago, a tube of estrogen was $500 and now it's $20. So you're talking so much access. Now your doctor has to write a prescription uh, to lo your local pharmacy that takes a good RX coupon or to costplusdrugs.com, and it should be $20 for a tube, which should last you about two to three months. Now, you use at least one gram every day for two weeks, and then you can go down to one gram twice a week till death do you part. So one gram is usually about a finger length full, or you can use the applicator that it comes with. Now, one trick I learned from a very wonderful friend of mine is a lot of women don't like creams because they're goopy and messy. And so one trick is to take one gram and put it on your finger and then rub it on the inside walls of the vagina until it's completely rubbed in. Like you would do sunscreen or moisturizer. You don't just glob it on and go on with your day. And so by rubbing it into the walls, it won't leak. It won't drip. It won't feel uh, yucky for you. And this is a really wonderful workaround for patients who don't love creams. That's a, such a smart piece of advice because, you know, the, the, I, I use the applicator and this notion of using your fingers so that you don't have the, the sort of discharge and the dripping is, is super smart and it makes it so manageable. I actually had another doctor on the show who also recommended using a little bit around, you know, not just within your vaginal walls, but a little bit externally. Where do you land on that? Yeah, so I am a big fan of adding a little bit externally on the urethra and the lining of the inside of the labia minora. That tissue can be very irritated as well. What I don't like is when my colleagues tell people to just do that because I think it's not enough. And so one thing that we have in our office is pH paper is we want to make sure the vaginal pH is four and a half. So we want an acidic pH. So if you think that you're using enough, one quick test is to check the pH of your vaginal walls and see if it's enough. So just putting a little on the urethra, in my opinion, is not enough. But if you do at least a gram twice a week in the vagina and some on the urethra, you're good to go. And I love it. 
Okay. And so why did people then uh, opt to use things like rings and tablets versus the cream, which is pretty user-friendly and, as you pointed out, um, cost-effective now that the price has been lowered? Yeah. So so it, sometimes creams irritate people. So the chemicals within the creams and a lot of people have sensitive tissue. And so if you have really sensitive tissue and you add the cream, some people feel burning, irritation, and they are just so annoyed with you. They also don't love the goopiness, the messiness. And a lot of people don't love plunging creams into their vagina. <laughs> and so the, the ring, okay, so perfect example, the ring, there's a vaginal estrogen ring that excretes local small doses of estrogen estrogen into the vagina, which heals the bladder. And it lasts for three months at a time. This is fabulous for anyone who wants to set it and forget it, but really nice for a patient who might be uh, in a nursing home with poor dexterity of their fingers or somebody who may have dementia who can't remember to put a cream or an insert in. They can make you know an appointment with their doctor every three months or their uh, uh, um, aide can put it in every three months. It's, it's such a lovely option for someone who can't remember to do something and or if someone who's just way too busy um, and doesn't want to do something. And there is a pill... Um, um, the pill is called ospemaphine, which is a pill that you take. You know, there are women who refuse to put things in their vaginas. And so um, if you have no other options, then you do have an oral option uh, to take. Okay. So many good choices, really a buffet of choices to fit with your lifestyle, your preferences, and and um, you know your, your timing. That, that now, was... I should add one caveat here is that there is a magical product called Intrarosa, which is vaginal DHEA. Now, I, testosterone is a very hot topic, and it turns out your urethra and bladder like testosterone as much as it likes estrogen and actually probably needs both. And so intrarosa, DHEA is the precursor to estrogen and testosterone, and it's the only FDA-approved option that adds both. And so we love it, especially those people who try estrogen and it's just not quite enough. They're still having pain or urinary tract infections. We may be able to save the day with something like Intrarosa. So we're a big fan of that product. Now, it's all, if it's covered by insurance, it's fabulous. Sometimes it's max cash price is $85 a month at places like Costco. So you got to know the deals and, and where to get where to get it. So it's a little more uh, challenging than just that tube of cream. Gotcha. And Dr. Rubin, how are we spelling that? So our listeners can look it up and I can add it to the show notes. Intrarosa is I-N-T-R-A-R-O-S-A. Phenomenal. So this is a great time to segue maybe into testosterone therapy and uh, the role that it can play with sexual dysfunction. You said it's very buzzy. Uh, testosterone's, you know, as important. It may be sometimes more important than estrogen. What is testosterone therapy? How does it work? So when we talk about, so what I was just talking about was the genital and urinary symptoms of menopause, and those can be treated with very local, low-dose hormones that really don't help your whole body, but really help the vagina and the bladder. And those things are safe for just about everyone, and I'll fight anyone who says <laughs> otherwise. I will. I'll just, just put me on a stage, and I'll fight them to the death. Um, and then what, 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 when we're talking about testosterone for your whole body or hormone replacement therapy, then you start getting into more detailed controversial issues, if you will. Now, menopause, uh, that Sue Dominus article in the New York Times, I hope you link to it because it really was a fabulous, she's a brilliant woman, and it's a fabulous article that goes through the controversy of why everyone thinks hormones are so dangerous and what actually is the data, you know, in 2023. 
And so, um, so I don't know that we're going to get into all the details on this podcast, but I think the idea that hormones are dangerous is much more nuanced and they're actually a lot safer and a lot, um, th there should be a lot more women being offered hormone replacement therapy in menopause than are currently being offered it. And in that pseudominous article, I was quoted as saying that menopause has the worst PR campaign in the history of the universe because everyone thinks it's just hot flashes and night sweats. But it's so much more than that. It's brain fog. It's depression, anxiety. It's heart palpitation. It's your skin drying out. It's your eyeballs drying out. It can be um, frozen shoulder, right? There's so many symptoms of perimenopause that nobody picks up on. And so you start to feel crazy. You start to feel like you're dying. You start to feel like no one in the world understands. You can't sleep anymore. You can't remember what a pen is called anymore. You think you have <laughs> dementia. And so the idea that you just- Dr. Rubin, it sounds like you've been like, you've like moved into my bedroom because that was right? a lot of but, what I was experiencing when I yeah. was in the early stages of it. I would, I would like point at the kitchen timer and be like, that thing that like counts the time. Like I couldn't remember words. It's weird. And the idea that you just have to suck it up, Buttercup, yes. is no, insane. No bueno, no bueno. We're not here for that. It's insane. And so- so hormone therapy is right indicated for hot flashes and night sets for osteoporosis prevention and for the genitourinary syndrome of menopause but it does a lot more than that and women should be offered uh, treatments for their very debilitating symptoms. And so a hormone therapy often looks like whole body estrogen. If you have a uterus, we give you progesterone to protect it from uterine cancer and testosterone, which the most data we have is for low libido. That doesn't mean it only treats low libido, but that's essentially the majority of the data that we have. Now, testosterone is, there's global consensus that testosterone is safe for menopausal women, that it works well and it's safe. Global consensus. Right now in 2023, I don't think we have global consensus on, on just anything. About anything. <laughs> exactly. And yet we have global consensus that testosterone is safe and it works for low libido. But we have a big problem. We don't have an FDA approved version of testosterone that is dosed correctly for women. Why not? It's, it's very simple. The FDA hates women. There's like no other explanation. So a, there was a company that studied it and a billion dollars went into it and it was five years of data and it was safe. And the FDA said, well, this is women we're talking about. So we're going to need five more years of data to get a male testosterone product approved is six months of data and about $10 million. So you're talking about another billion dollars that would have to go into a study for low libido, which no company is going to can afford or is going to do. That's a big problem. It's approved in Australia. So it really doesn't make any sense because if it's good enough for the Australian government and the Australian people, it makes no sense why the FDA wouldn't have a, the benchmarks are different for men and women. And it's really just unfair. Like it's really discrimination. So, um, so we don't, you can tell I'm opinionated about yes, this. Yes, no, I, um, I, well, we like strong opinions. It's true. So we don't it's true. have a product that is approved for women. So we have to use off-label, which we do off-label things all the time. If you've ever had a birth control pill for acne, that's off-label, right? So, so what we do is we actually use male testosterone and we just use it at female doses, which is about one-tenth the amount. So it's actually mm. very inexpensive. You don't have to get fancy compounding. You don't have to get pellets. You literally can get uh, through a, a good RX coupon. You can get it for about $6 a month 
to use topical male generic testosterone on your calf. It's very easy to do. And so, but you need a doctor who actually knows how to do it, who knows the tricks. And I find urologists are, are more comfortable in the testosterone space because we give it to people all the time. Whereas gynecologists don't often give testosterone therapy uh, to people. So we really have to get the, the gynecologists who, who really care about this and take extra courses. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I want to explore this a little bit further. So you, my gynecologist actually did prescribe to me um, testosterone cream and I used it. And I will tell you, it was like I used it for maybe a week and I felt like my engine had turned over. I was like, oh, hello. Like, it, you know, it really does like rev up your libido and your energy. And I, I, I it was noticeable. Um, yeah. And I use it as a topical cream. So I'd love yeah. to hear about and you use the word pellets. And I know there's some, you know, from spending time online and doing some researchers controversy around pellets. Walk us through what that controversy is. Do you prefer a topical cream to that option? Is testosterone ever delivered orally or is it only um, a, a pellet or a cream? Oh, I love all these questions. So right now, as I said, we have no FDA approved option for women. Well, we use male testosterone, and right now I use mostly topical testosterone uh, that I would use for my male patients. Interestingly, there is an, a new oral testosterone out there that we're very interested in and would love the companies to study it in women, but we have no data at this point. So there's no pill option uh, at this point that is safe uh, for women to take. Now, pellets is very controversial and interesting. There is an FDA-approved pellet for men. It's called Testapel. They did the studies, they went through the FDA, and they got approval. Now, there are many companies out there marketing pellets for women, and there are many women getting pellets, but that's not FDA-regulated, which means nobody is going under the hood at those pharmacies to even confirm that that's what's in the pellet. And sometimes you, you can't confirm the dosing. So if you put a, a pellet, which is like basically putting a Tic Tac under your butt muscle, under in your butt uh, fat, <clears throat> and it gives you a high dose of testosterone. Now, if you've never had testosterone in your body before, you may have too high of a dose, which can lead to side effects like oily skin or acne. Um, in, in very, very severe cases, you could get a clitoral growth or deepening of your voice. It's rare, but it's possible. Now, pellets could be safe and could be effective for women. But my problem is if the pellet companies loved women as much as they claim to, why aren't they doing the work? Why aren't they doing the studies? Why aren't they going through the FDA to get regulated? I'll tell you, Katie, my kids' applesauce pouches have been recalled because there's there's dangerous things in my kids' applesauce pouches. So at least the FDA is looking inside my kids' applesauce pouches, but nobody's looking inside these pellet companies. Is it because so, of the expense, do you think? I mean, It's because they don't have to, because they can make billions of dollars because they're, they're the, they, because these people are saying, well, we're safe. We're, we're a good company we're safe but like really like if they cared about women do the work like the fda is not perfect i've got plenty i just said that the fda hates women so i've got my beef with the fda but the but they're still they're still regulating things they're looking under the hood they're seeing what's going on they don't get it right every time but this is totally unregulated so that's my issue i actually believe pellets could be a really good thing for women because who wouldn't want to do something just every four to six months, but why wouldn't they do the work, right? 
Yeah, we have to put the research in, I guess, in order to have women to feel we that should, level of comfort. We and we don't want to care about women enough to do the research. Absolutely. And so, you know, I know that there are, um, you know, that's in the works, hopefully. So, how, how, you know, I, I'm going to do an entire separate show on what listeners should be doing as consumers and voters in order to encourage the different, uh, you know, arms of our government to, to you know, research and, and, and more effectively you know, advocate and steward women's health. Um, so I love that you've put that on, you know, uh, the listeners radar and I'm definitely picking up a show in 2024 on that very topic. So if you're feeling, feeling as riled up as Dr. Rubin and you should be listeners, we're going to have some ideas for what you can put into action to help. But moving on a little bit more to testosterone before we, we switch gears. So the, the creams though, so you, you, do you believe this is still a, a great option for, for women today since it's what the only thing that's readily available? Is that correct? I think creams are a great option. Um, we, I like the FDA approved creams for men and I use them, um, you know, in just female doses. Um, there are people who use compounded products because either they don't have access to this or they don't know how to do it well. But again, you can check your hormone level, your testosterone levels and kind of see what they are. Make sure you're absorbing the cream. And in your, you know, what patients are reporting to us is that I, I think it takes more than a week. Like you said, you noticed in about a week, I tend to see more of that like three, four months, like that's when it kind of kicks in. And patients are like, oh my God, Dr. Rubin, my libido is so much better. Oh my God. I thought about sex. I had a sex dream for the first time <laughs> in so long, or wow, my energy is better. I'm getting my workouts or actually, I feel like I'm getting credit for them. Finally. Did you see this muscle that I grew? Um, so we see more than just libido, but the most data that we have is for libido. So, so I think that's, and I think the really important message to the listeners is it's not that scary. Testosterone's not that serious. As reproductive women, you have more testosterone in your body than you have estrogen. It's just that nobody told you. And so adding some testosterone back, I think of it like adding some some gas into your tank, right? You've got an empty tank and we're just trying to put some gas into it. And so we do that with hormones. We do that with sex therapy. We do that with education. We do that with antidepressants if sometimes, right? There's so many different things that we do to try to just fill your bucket. And so it's really just finding a doctor who's going to really learn about you to figure out what makes sense. Like what is your gas tank and what do we need to add to it? Yeah, we, we definitely need to fill up our tanks. I love that. Uh, let's switch gears for a minute because I, I, I want to talk about uh, something that I saw on your website. It was an article that you had been quoted in and it was about um, the, the premise of the article was the focus on sexual dysfunction that can be caused by antidepressants. And you know, I've I've learned from recording this show that women over sixty are the largest demographic of antidepressant users in the U.S. But across genders here, you know, people over forty represent one of the largest blocks of antidepressant users in general. So, what should we know about SSRIs? And am I saying that correctly? And sexual dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I might have thrown an extra S in there, but you no, know. no, you were perfect. You're perfect. Good. So. So medications have side effects. All medications have side effects. And any doctor who says, take this, except vaginal estrogen, that's the perfect medication with no side. Uh, just kidding. Occasionally with vaginal estrogen, people get yeast infections. But other than that, there's like no side effects. So most medications have side effects. And so you have to understand what the side effects are. And antidepressants are no exception. They can be wonderfully life-saving for some people. 
and life-alteringly ruinous for other people. Same as birth control pills, same as any surgery that you get, right? There's so many risks and benefits to different things. And so we've known over the years that many antidepressants can have sexual side effects. And it has to do with how serotonin works on the brain, we think, and how dopamine uh, is, you know, how much dopamine that you have. And so if you, you to you know so if a medication can have sexual side effects then other medications can boost sexual function and we have medicines that work on the brain that can boost sexual health and so again back to the gas tank sort of analogy if you are depressed and anxious and you can't get out of bed then sometimes adding an antidepressant will fill the tank however if you're uh, adding an antidepressant and you notice a decrease in your libido or a delay in your orgasm we're actually taking gas out of the tank with that antidepressant. And so it really becomes having a team that you can talk to and that can help understand what your goals are because it really only matters what you care about, not what anybody else cares about. And so we have antidepressants that maybe have less or fewer sexual side effects. Um, We have ones that could boost sexual health. Like there's all sorts of things that we can do. But if your doctor doesn't know that these are your side effects or that sexual health is a priority for you, they won't know um how to uh, uh, alter that medication cocktail that they're going to recommend. Yeah, absolutely. And so if somebody is working with a clinician who is prescribing antidepressants, and that person could be, a, I guess, maybe a psychiatrist uh, or, or your medical doctor, and they are not sexual wellness experts, you know, where do you recommend that a patient who is experiencing sexual dysfunction uh, turn to? You know, I mean, I, mean, I think the it sounds tricky, right? To the find key the right is person. advocating for yourself. And if your doctor looks at you or talks to you like it's not a priority or it's not important, then asking for another recommendation or seeing somebody else. Again, um, things like uh, the Sexual Medicine Society of North America or seeing uh, a sex therapy specific providers and uh, ASECT is the sex therapy website, which is mostly sex therapists, not psychiatrists who are prescribing, but they will know who the sex friendly psychiatrists in, in town are. Um, and so it's okay to ask your doctors, do they do they know a lot about this or have they seen this before? And it's also okay to get set different opinions. Yeah. It's a, you know, the very first guest I had on this podcast uh, is a doctor named Dr. Anita Sadati. And she shared that um, when she is doing her, uh, you know, well checks with people and she's about to walk out the door and she literally has her hand on the doorknob, the patient will say to her, you know, oh, there is one more thing. And she always knows that that's, you know, it's that they're having painful sex, even though she's asked them questions, they haven't shared it. And then that this is an issue. And so you really have to some of the we want our doctors to be our advocates and to be educated and and to be menopause, you know, um, trained and sort of uh, cognizant of what's going on in the latest science. But we also have to be our own advocates. And, you know, doctors aren't mind readers. We have to really let them know what's going on with our bodies in order to, to get the, the, the treatment and, you know, at, and care that we deserve. And it's not only OK to care about your sexual health. But if it's important to you, it should absolutely be important to your clinician, right? Like this is the thing, like don't minimize it. Men don't minimize it and women shouldn't minimize it either. If it's important to you, then you deserve to be given a toolbox, of, you know, that can help you. And it exists. I think the problem is we we sort of make women think that the only toolbox that exists are, you know, um, aesthetic creams and gels and supplements that are on the Internet. 
I, yes, I so agree. And, and by the way, you just, when you said the word toolbox, it just jogged a memory. We're going to be heading into our speed round in just a minute because our time is wrapping up. But I did find this phenomenal quote when I was researching you in the New York Times, and it said, I think doctors should be prescribing vibrators, which are health aids just like eyeglasses or hearing aids. The more we normalize them and educate patients in our exam rooms about them, the better. And I, I love that. So, you know, this you mentioned the word tool. Before we head into the speed round, why is a vibrator something that we should all have in our sexual wellness or just overall wellness toolkit? Well, so we know that the clitoris is mostly an internal organ. The clitoris and the penis are exactly the same thing. They're made up of exactly the same tissue and they work exactly the same way. It's just that women don't often penetrate with and they definitely don't pee through their clitoris. And so science has ignored it completely. But um, it, to access a clitoris often requires vibration because it's very difficult to get to it because it's mostly an internal organ. So we know from data that more than 50% of women use vibration to help them achieve orgasm. So why wouldn't you want to bring tools into the bedroom to make for more maximal sexual pleasure. And I'll tell you, penises love vibration as well. It's just many haven't tried. So we love de devices for men. We love devices for anybody, uh, for women. And there's a lot of couples devices out there. And so the more we normalize this as just um, medical devices or or just uh, 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 you know quality of life devices, the better life will be. Because at the end of the day, most sex is just about fun and pleasure. The whole, you know, the reproductive baby making part of sex is a very short period of time for most people. And so if the goal is fun and joy and pleasure, why wouldn't you add toys, right? Yeah. None of you go to the same restaurant every single time you want to go to a nice restaurant. You don't go on the same vacations. Why are you having sex the same way every time? Why aren't you adding more tools to your toolbox? Uh, we could all use more fun. So I think that everyone should think about putting one of these fun sex tools, a vibrator in your, you know, Christmas stocking or as a Hanukkah gift, you know, or gift it to yourself in January if it hasn't shown up as a present for yourself. So think about that, ladies. Um, all right. We are moving into our speed round. Are you ready? This is just one to two word answers to end. Oh, I've never been good at one to two word answers, so let's try it. I'll, I'm, a, I'm, I'm game. You're good at yeah, – we can do hard things, and you're good at lots of stuff. I bet you can be good at this. Let's let's do right. it. Let's try it. Okay. I could talk about this menopause topic again and again. Was that a question? Yeah. It's like a fill in the blank. Oh, this topic. Oh, uh, gen GSM. Nice. Okay. What is the number one issue that brings female patients to you? Sexual pain. You are an incredible resource to women dealing with menopause symptoms. What's another resource, either a book, a person, a podcast that women should have on their radar? Kelly Casperson's podcast and Heather Hirsch's podcast. Nice. You say every woman should have a vibrator. What is another product or tool for our sexual wellness toolkit? Pelvic floor physical therapist. Nice. I thought you were going to say lube, but that's that, that works too. Okay. Even doctors need to work on their well-being. This lifestyle choice or hack uh, fuels well-being in your own life. Sleep. Nice. Finally, your one-word answer to complete this sentence. As I age, I feel. Empowered. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Dr. Rubin, this has been phenomenal. I have learned so much from you. I so appreciate your time. And I'm, I feel like we're ending the year with a bang with this show. Before we say goodbye, how can our listeners keep following you and your work? Would love for all you all to sign up for my newsletter at rachelrubinmd.com. 
and uh, follow us on social media. It's Dr. Rachel Rubin, Dr. Rachel Rubin on all of the channels, except TikTok. I'm not on that one yet. I love it. Thank you so much. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. And this wraps our 2023 shows. Thank you for listening all year and supporting the show. We are taking the next two weeks off for the holidays, but we will be back the second week of January with shows to jumpstart your 2024. From fitness to finances to reinvention and more. Now, before I say goodbye, a quick favor. I would love it if you could take five minutes to write an end of the year Apple podcast review. Did you learn something on our 2023 shows? Does tuning in every Monday make you feel seen and supported? If so, please take five minutes to rate or review the show over on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next year. And until then, age boldly, beauties.